0: Hey there! Welcome to the What Connects Us Podcast, where we explore human connection with people from the province. Today we're chatting with Kim Coates about his very successful career as a Hollywood actor, and how his Sask upbringing has been rooted in his success. Season 3 kicks off now! Yes, we're back with another season of the What Connects Us Podcast, and we are kicking things off with a bang. We're going to jump right in and waste no time in getting straight to our guest because I'm revved up about this one. This week's guest has spent the last four decades being a total badass in movies, television, Broadway, and plays. You've seen him in Black Hawk Down, Waterworld, The Last Boy Scout, Pearl Harbor, Prison Break, all three CSIs, but he might be best known for his role as Tig Traeger in one of TV's most well-known series, Sons of Anarchy. Today, we're chatting with Kim Coates, who was born, raised, and went to university in Saskatoon and has gone on to have a very successful, long-standing career as an actor. We're going to talk about what sparked his passion for acting, how he took an unconventional path to the big screen, the difficulties of establishing financial wellness as a new actor, how he continues to give back to the prairies, and of course, the wild motorcycle ride that was Sons of Anarchy. Even though Kim hasn't lived in Saskatchewan for years, his prairie roots run deep, and he's just as humble as he is generous with his time and philanthropy. Kim is an ambassador for an initiative that Connexus is the presenting partner of called The Pegasus Project, where we are raising money for a new helicopter fleet for Starz Air Ambulance. We'll get to that in the interview, and we'll chat about why this is such an important cause for him. You'll know what I'm talking about in a second here, but going into this interview, I felt so nervous. I felt like I was talking to a celebrity. I had just binged all of Sons of Anarchy to to get ready for this interview. And I felt like I was gonna be starstruck. But the moment I sat down with Kim, his humor and his charisma and his humility, it it just felt like I was sitting down talking to somebody from the prairies, which I was. And that was such a welcome surprise because Kim was so personable and he made me feel right at home. He joined us from his home in Los Angeles, and it truly felt like he was sitting across the table from me because he was so interactive and present. And it was it was just a really great interview, and I'm really excited for you to hear it. So let's roll out the red carpet and get to the conversation as we learn what the ride from Toontown to Tinseltown has been like and what lessons Kim has learned along the way. What connects us to Kim? Let's find out.
1: Kim Coates, welcome to the podcast. Mason Gardner. You look like you're about 19 years old. What the <laughs> hell is going on? You're not You're not drinking Regina water.
0: I, I drink Lemberg water. That's where originally I'm from. So I drank that for 18 years. So it did the body good. Uh, this is fun. You play Declan Gardner in Bad Blood. My name is Mason Gardner. This feels like a family reunion.
1: It's a family reunion. We could have used you on the show. I hear you were a little too expensive, though. That's why we didn't come <laughs> to you to play my brother
0: yeah, my writer, you just couldn't tell it. So that's how it works. How's life in LA? Are you missing the the unpredictable spring Saskatchewan weather?
1: You know, I don't, I don't really miss any weather in Saskatoon unless it's the summer. Mm. I, I, you know, you know, my whole, my whole story, Mason, when I left in 1981 and graduated from the University of Saskatchewan, I, uh, it's my hometown, it's Saskatchewan's my people. I, I go back, as you know, as much as I can, and we'll talk about that in this interview that we're going to do. But for me, I, I don't miss the winters. I'm a baby now. <laughs> I don't miss the freezing cold. I don't miss the slush and the popsicle sticks down the driveway. Those days are over. I'm way too old. I spent an entire year in Canada last year. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of homes up there in Canada, and I was in Western Canada with my wife, Diana. And and so to be in L.A. now after a year, I'm, I'm enjoying the weather I'm enjoying that the vaccines are so – so. there's so many vaccines here in L.A. We're doing so well down here now in California. You know what's going on. Yeah, you're
0: hogging them. Yeah, we're hogging them. We've got to send them our way. We're trying. (laughs) We're trying. (laughs) So uh, before we jump into the interview portion, I was talking to Vaughn Wyant the other day, and uh, he said that you guys have golfed before. And uh, he wouldn't tell me who's the better golfer or your previous win-loss record, but he said he's been – been watching a lot of golf in order to improve the mechanics of the swing and and he's got the the upper hand on you now he says so any response to von
1: anything he says you better take with a grain of salt von wyatt is now one of my best pals and when you're best pals that means you can talk a lot of you know what and Mm -hmm. i i think i've probably played at least 10 rounds with him now and he he was beating me early but he can't beat me any longer so it's it's time for him to get as many lessons from Ernie Els as he, as he can, because I will be coming hunting for him again this summer or fall the next time we, yeah. we grace the golf
0: course. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So let's jump into it. I'm excited to hear about your story and you need no introduction, but I am so curious to hear how you would define yourself or introduce yourself. So in a nutshell, who is Kim Coates?
1: Wow. What a, what a, Great question to start this whole thing off, brother. I'm not even sure I've ever been asked that. I'm a Canadian boy who stumbled into acting, who discovered Tennessee Williams and Shakespeare and Ian S. and who decided to follow his bliss, who decided to be completely no ego, learn, <clears throat> never be af- afraid to fail, move to Toronto with the late Susan Wright helping me along the way, got me a big agent, Refused to do film and television early. I wanted to do more stage, more stage, more stage. And that just catapulted me into who I am today. And I never um, I never cared about stardom. I never certainly didn't care about celebrity. But I guess it comes with the package if you, and you know this, if you work hard and you continue to work hard, and I guess if you're okay at something, um, for me to be able to now at my level, at my career, give back, to stuff like Pegasus, and to give back to Creative Kids and Regina in Regina, PA, and Saskatoon with Jamie Young so, so many years ago, to give back to the tele-miracle, to give back to my Saskatchewan and Canadian and American charities. It's very special to me, and I, I feel very mm-hmm. grateful to be in the position I am. So that's, I think, who I am.
0: Yeah. So you said you're a Canadian boy. You're not just a Canadian boy. You're a Saskatoon boy. I am. different.
1: <laughs> you're a prairie
0: boy. So what was life like for you growing up in Saskatoon?
1: So great. We, my mom and dad, Joyce and Fred, Fred's gone now. He died in 2008. So we didn't see my success from Sons of Anarchy, but my dad knew every movie and every stage production I was ever in. Uh, my mom is still going strong. She's 91 years old. Growing up in Saskatoon, we knew nothing else. We we had a small clapboard house that mom still lives in today. We I, my, my two little brothers, Dean and Dale, who I just love and I miss every day that I'm here in LA and around the world. Mm-hmm. I talk to them all the time. You, you, you pop out of your mother and there's a little hockey stick. If you're a boy, you've got a little hockey stick. And so me and Dale and Dean got these little wooden hockey sticks and I think my mom still has them today. And you learn, you know, you skate, you skate, you play baseball. You learn golf later. You more baseball, and more hot, more sports. Um, it was a great way to grow up. It was, it was an incredible way to grow up at Thornton, which is no longer a school. Nutana, which is still a school, and of course, the University of Saskatchewan. So I'm a lot older than you, son. But I'll tell you, you know, there was this rivalry between Saskatoon and Regina, right up until there I is. left, and then and there still is. And when you leave, like I left to go to Toronto and then New York and then L.A. Always come on. I love Regina now. I love Regina. Because yeah. I'm not in Saskatchewan as much anymore. So I don't know. It was a great way to grow up. Um, but it was cold in the winter, man. Yes. And I said it was oh, cold. Yeah. I'm, I, I've i lost that blood for the cold now. I don't know what happened to me.
0: This past year, we set a record for a, the polar vortex for most consecutive hours beneath minus 40 degrees celsius oh so you're not missing anything over here <laughs> right i love how you said there's a rivalry between regina and saskatoon because i like to compare it to almost like a, a little brother big brother situation where we can poke fun at each other but if anybody in the east says anything oh. about them oh you're it's, done it's on any yeah, argonaut
1: you're fan any tiger cat fan <laughs> don't get me started with the riders don't green totally. and white till i'm till i'm dead baby
0: Oh, yeah. We're, we're going to get into that. Um, so tell me a little bit about the spark that lit a fire for your passion for acting, where you were ready to study drama at the University of Saskatchewan. Did you go into drama with that, that long-term career in acting in mind?
1: Absolutely not. I, I, I remember uh, taking a year off working at Safeway, saving lots of money. Safeway was such a, an incredible job for young guys like me and young girls, cashiers. It paid well, unionized it was just a my mom was a Safeway girl. In fact, my mother, I think she won so many uh, cashiers of the month that they had to ban her from winning them anymore. <laughs> and the winner for January, Joyce coach. I oh, thank you. thank you so much. <laughs> I just I love my job. everyone voted for my mom. She's loved by everybody. anyway, Safeway a year full time save some money, Mason. I stayed at my mom and dad's home in the basement I went to college for years. I loved it, but I went there to be a history teacher. I was going to teach history. I wanted to be a teacher. And I remember going uh, through the, the book and it said you could take an elective. I took my math, my English, my French, my psychology 101, which I just loved. And then they said, you could take anything you wanted. And I went, any, anything like really? So I took the book, true story. I took the big catalog back in that day, back in 1979. And I and I stopped on D. It was upside down. I turned the book around. And I went down the D and it said drama. Drama. And I went, wait a second. Drama? Like acting? Like, so I took an acting class. I had never been in a play. I had never seen a play. I was a redneck little Saskatoon boy, sports guy captain of my football team. So I don't know, bro. I mean, I think I've had the gift for the gab back in the day. I could talk my way out of a fight or into a fight pretty easily. Um, but no, no, I I, I, I I, did not plan any of it. It just started, started you, to happen.
0: You are now the poster child for holistic education and the reason as to why we do like electives and stuff like this because you were on the path of a history teacher and here you are starring in movies alongside Hollywood's elite. Like it's crazy that that just like a, a flip through a book and and right there determined the entire trajectory. Let's talk, about, trajectory. That.
1: Let's talk yeah. about that like i'm 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 not a huge um religious guy at all. I believe in mm-hmm. spirits. I believe in I think we go somewhere. we certainly you know there's I think fate, whether it's just really beautiful or really unfortunate, sometimes it takes a hold of you and the cards you mm-hmm. get are the cards you get and then what do you do with that? Like so I got lucky with finding that drama on that page and actually but then what do you do with that? Do you do you excel? Do you learn? Does it become your path in life? I don't know about that, but Joseph Campbell, he's my favorite writer. I mean, the power of myth. It's one of my favorite books to read about mythology and indigenous people, the beautiful people that were on this earth way before you and I were, and what plants mean and trees mean and the environment means. I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. So for me, it worked out. Now I had to work my ass off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I had a little bit of talent. Um, you know, Wayne Gretzky, you know, arguably one of the greatest hockey players ever. Rumor has it he worked at it, but he had a little talent going in. He knew how to skate pretty early. So I, I think I found it at the right time for me to really uh, s- like stick my head in there full 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 bore and go for it.
0: Totally. do you remember that moment? Like whether you were on stage or watching a play, something you're like, that's it. That's I'm, I'm doing what I need to do for the rest of my life.
1: I did. Um, again, your your questions are beautiful, Mason. I'll never forget the first play I ever saw at the university of Saskatchewan in 1979. When I, I was at 70, 78, 1978, fall of 78, it was elephant man, the elephant man. And it's the first play I'd ever seen. And I'm sitting there in the 10th row, first year student taking a drama class. And I just remember it starting at the Greystone Theater at the hangar building. And all of a sudden, the play starts and Eric Schneider is smoking a cigarette, being a psychologist. There's a young boy who's, you know, all tormented and deformed physically in the play. And, you know, 18th century, 19th century England. And I remember just watching this this play and it was just... uh, it, it, blew, it blew my mind. It blew my mind. It was fantastic. Mm. So it was, it was great.
0: You, you mentioned, well, what do I do with this? So you finish university and you make the decision to move East. What went into that decision? You
1: know, four years of studying, got my degree. I passed, who knew? And uh, I'd done 25 plays in four years, 25, including Summerstock, right? I think that's pretty much uh, unheard of. Uh, my daughter, Brenna, who's going to be a, a movie star, she's already won an Obie and a Drama Desk award on Broadway. This kid at NYU, Tish Acting Academy, she got her degree, four-year degree there. She did like something like 10 plays over four years. I did 25. Who does 25 plays? So it was Susan Wright who said to me, and I knew that I was going to become a professional actor when I got back from my third year. We were at the Edinburgh Drama Festival, and we won a fringe first for a play called Creeps by David Freeman. And I knew then that I was going to be a professional actor. I had one, one year to go to get my degree, but I knew I was going to be a pro. And so Susan Wright said, because I was going to go to Vancouver. And she said, no, you're going to come to Toronto. So it was Susan Wright, the late Susan Wright, who said to me, you, Toronto. Gary Goddard, here's your agent. Probably the biggest agent in Toronto at the time. He's gone now. But yeah, it was... I, I had no fear. I was an absolute idiot. I was an absolute, you know, here we go. I finally know what a soliloquy is. And I've been in a lot of Shakespeare plays already. And But I know nothing. Let's go. Eyes wide open.
0: Yeah. So you make it to the East. And in an interview with George Trombolopoulos, you mentioned that your agent wanted you to start doing films as soon as you arrived East. But you're like, no, I want to focus on theater and plays before making that jump. And you did. I think it was approximately 30 of them before your first movie. So I feel like a lot of us would, it'd be natural for it be like, okay, it, you want me to do movies? Yep, let's do it. Let's do movies. So what gave you that conviction to say, no, I'm going to stop and I'm going to do plays um, for a little bit before I make that jump?
1: I'm not sure, but I do know that with all the incredible travel I did to New York and London, uh, in that third and fourth year university, and then right when I got to Toronto, theater was everything to me. I knew deep down that I was gonna be a movie star. Like I don't know how to say that, but I, I knew deep down that these eyes and these cheekbones, I, I, th- I thought that the camera would probably love this raggedy face I've got, and I didn't, I didn't, but I wanted to be the best actor. I could be before that took off for me. And that's true. George was, he did all his homework. It's true. I, I remember Gary said, so we got these films and I went, no, I, I actually want to go to Thunder Bay. I want to go to Edmonton. I want to go to Halifax. I want to do 12 plays in Halifax. I want to go to Stratford. And I did it all. I want to, you know, and I did it all. Yeah. And, and then I went to Broadway, as you know, and Stanley Kowalski and Streetcar Named Desire. I mean, think about that, right, bro. I mean, I'm like this kid this late 20s mid 20s I'm, I'm playing macbeth at stratford mm-hmm. john neville directed in 1986 i'm the youngest macbeth the ever. youngest ever yeah so i don't know i think that when i uh, was on broadway and I'm, I'm, I'm screaming stella stella and all these agents and hollywood discovered me that's when it all started to explode for me the last Boy got the client water world the whole thing just went And I I think I was ready for Hollywood.
0: So how did you make that decision to be like, you know what? I think I've done enough plays. I'm ready for Hollywood.
1: It wasn't even really making a decision. I don't want the viewers to think that, or the listeners, that it was a decision. I just knew that in 1981, 82, when I first got to Toronto, let's all calm down with the movie star thing, the TV thing. I want to be a better actor. So by the time I'm at Stratford in 84, 85, and 86, I knew then that I, I'm ready to do some film now. The boy in blue, I think I did that when I was at Stratford or right after Stratford. then I did um, not street legal and night heat. So I got my feet really wet with these incredible TV things in Ontario before I went to do Broadway, before I went to Hollywood. So it was a natural and I did a commercial for schooner beer. Oh yeah. (laughs) I made 800 bucks Mason in one day, 800 bucks. You know how much money that was back in 1984? Like I I called Diana. We were just dating at the time. My now wife, I'm going, I just made $800 and we just almost started to cry. It's like, Holy crap.
0: So I love a part of your, the entire thread in your story is that, you didn't get into acting to be a celebrity. You got into acting to be a, to be a damn good actor. Yeah. And that's basically what you just kind of explained. Like your intuition was saying, no, I need to be a good actor before I make that next step. Is that, is that correct?
1: Yeah. I just, uh, I, I was so naive, Mason. I was just so proud and tough Canadian boy, Prairie boy, like you just said, but I knew deep down that I was, pretty freaking good at mm. what I'm doing. And there wasn't a lot of Kim Coates's, you know, like when I saw Robert De Niro in, in Taxi Driver, I'm in third year university. I remember looking at him and his performance and I went, I want, I want to do that, but it can wait. I need to do more stage, more stage, more stage. When you're 26 and you're playing Macbeth at Stratford, when you're 29 and you're screaming Stella, I was I think of the eighth Stanley ever on Broadway and you're selling out, and then Hollywood. Y- y- you know you're you're in the right you're in the right pocket in your ball glove. You're in the right pocket, and so I never. I think the one thing that I did make con- a conscious effort back then, Mason, was I didn't. I wasn't in it for the money. I could have done TV in the early '90s. It made so much, and, and I just didn't want to do that. I wanted to do film, film, film. That's what the real actors did was film, film, film. It's all changed now. I mean, thank right. goodness it's all changed now. Everyone's doing everything. Yeah. But back then, I, I, you know, yeah, my wife, God bless Diana. She, uh, there's some really up and down, tough times, but I was living the life of Riley in those early 90s. I had a apartment in New York. I had a house I was renting in Toronto. I had a beautiful, uh, in Venice Beach, little shack on the water and I was renting all three of them and I was going broke fast, but I was happening. Got my green card. Everyone got the green cards. My two daughters were young. Brandon was a baby. Anyway. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't worry about stuff. I just wanted to be the best actor I could and, and hang on to hopefully being a really good guy.
0: Totally. So paint me a picture of what life looks like before things really started to take off for you in terms of like income? Like what is income as like an actor just starting to get out of university and and, and working your way up?
1: I I have to say that I have to give all the credit to Diana because, and I say this to Brenna, my daughter who's taking off now, I say this to all these young actors that I, I get the opportunity to talk to all the time. Do you know how lucky you are to have a partner or a boyfriend, or a girlfriend, or, or gay, straight, whatever it is, a partner. It's so unbelievably lucky when you're an artist, certainly in the early years. Diana was so key for me to be a teacher in Toronto. So the early days, bro, I was broke. I was a waiter for two and a half years. I did these little plays in, in Thunder Bay. I did a play in Toronto, small. But I was, not until, you know, Stratford, and those last years at the Neptune Theater, where I was hired for five plays in a row, did I have a kind of a somewhat steady income? So those early days, I mean, they were exciting as all snot. Working at the Nag's Head Tavern and the Eaton Center, you know, with my red red vest and my cumber bun and my white shirt, pretending I knew what I was talking about, slinging the beers around. Yeah, um, it's days I'll never forget, uh, but they were tough for sure.
0: So outside of the eight hundred dollar commercial, when did you feel like this is my big break? i I'm I'm on the cusp of something big here.
1: Stratford. And you know what it you know you know what it is, Mason. You're you're smarter than me. I might be wiser than you, but you're smarter than me. <laughs> Listen to me. When someone goes, John Neville goes, Would you come to Stratford from March till November? Mm-hmm. You go, what? Mm-hmm. You go 565 bucks a week? What? Stratford? And lunches are going to be provided and you get to work with Susan Wright and Colin Fior and Joe Ziegler? Are you, where do I sign? Totally. So that was, that was for me the beginning of me knowing, you know what, if I stay here a couple of years, which I did, 85 and 86, I knew after that that I could get into TV and film and be ready for whatever that was going to bring me.
0: So you got into film and before we jump too far into it, what would, do you remember your first day on set of film? And do you remember like, ooh, this feels different or did it feel oddly familiar to you?
1: Uh, My first real day on set, I was such a fool. I was such an idiot because I already knew what I thought film acting was, which was you can't act, you just have to be. You have to be, you have to learn your lines, forget them and just be. And it was in The Boy in Blue, it was Nick Cage, It was uh, down by Niagara in the Lake and Teddy Dykstra, who became a pal of mine at Stratford. Or maybe we did it right after Stratford. Maybe it it doesn't matter, but it was my first day. I'll never forget. I had like eight lines. We were on a buggy. We were on a horse-drawn buggy. And it was being pulled along this river where Nick Cage was just rowing and rowing and rowing. And he was cutting muscles everywhere. And he's eating a salad the size of your microphone. Mason, you know, just a massive salad, no salad dressing. I'll never forget. I, we get to hang out for one lunch hour. Anyway, my point is, I, I was so in it that I, I I, didn't even, my lines were all over the map. They, I, I was so method. I was drunk. I was drinking. I was making bets on this cake. It all got cut. It all got cut. It, it, I, I'm there, but you don't even hear me because I'm sure they went, what's he saying? What? What is Mike is there and he's covering it up. Anyway, film's different, bro. And I, I started to learn about film when I did Night Heat. Mm-hmm. That's when I started to be an actor. I did play this guy called Chucky, and he was the guest star. And I didn't even know what Hitting Your Mark was. But I knew to be in it and to be this guy was something that I, I, uh, I started to figure out. Acting was spectacular for the camera. It was so different. But no acting. I remember Scott would watch me in the wings and, and just watch me. It was kind of cool. Anyway, that was the beginning of it all for me.
0: So how do you make that jump from McCoy Man number two in The Boy in Blue to fast forward to mid-90s, mid early 2000s? You're starring in movies with John Travolta, Kevin Costner, Jeff Goldblum, Anne Heche, Ben Affleck, Josh Hartnett, Alec yep. Baldwin, Kate Beckinsale. You even punched Bruce Willis in the face. How did you make that step to that next step for you?
1: Well, it's such a great question again, because think about this, bro. Um, my first Hollywood film was The Last Boy Scout with Bruce Willis, 1992. And I'd done a couple of movies in Canada, Pally Royale with Matt Craven, Kim Cattrall, Dean Stockwell, um, had, 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 an incredible time doing it. And great part. That's where things started to go. Whoa. Real character, but Bruce Willis think about this. So my first day on set, um, I'm in a little honey wagon. I get pretty big Winnebago's now, but back then it's a little honey wagon. Anyway, I get the part Bruce Willis. And so here we go. Uh, my first day on set and I, I, I try on my wardrobe and my shoes are really slippery. They're really slippery. And I told the wardrobe gal, and she goes, "Well, what? Just use some Coca Cola on the bottom. Get some rocks, and we—they're fine." And I knew I had a, a punching scene that day with Damon Wayans. Anyway, sure enough, first day, it's a newspaper scene. Damon Wayans, me, and my thugs, and I'll tell the Bruce in a second. But Damon Wayans is a good story. And so, sure enough, we get there, and Tony's going, "Okay, Roy, right, let's just right, Here we go." And uh, we do it, and, and he goes. Then you punch him, and so we started rolling. And sure enough, I threw the punch, and Damon would smack. You pull his head back. I never hit him, obviously, and he just—it right. looked really good. And then Tony goes, "Right, one more, Kim. One more. I want you to really go for it, mate. Really go for it. You know <laughs> what I mean, mate? Just go for it. You got it. We've got it, in the, but just go for it, mate. Damon, you're okay." And so we went for it, and sure enough, my back foot slipped. I hit him right in the nose. Uh, punch no. right in the nose. Yeah. Had sunglasses on the whole thing. Everyone just you can you know. I see Joel Silver running from his chair. I see people coming over. I back up. The stuntman comes right over and goes, "Coatsy, it wasn't your fault. Your shoe slipped, man. You did. You did exactly. Your shoe slipped. Your shoe slipped. It wasn't like your Coca Cola? Didn't right, work. Coca Cola. So I'm going. <laughs> I'm I'm going to get fired. I'm going to get fired. And Damon to his credit, lands takes the shades off there's a little nick little nick right there from the sunglasses but you could tell that my punch i didn't really punch him i went to and then i realized i'm right by his face and so i pulled it a little bit otherwise he could have been hurt and um i didn't get fired and i realized here we go um this is learning shit on hollywood and and then bruce willis can tell that story real briefly absolutely So bruce willis I'll never forget. Everyone gets called to set. And your question was, how did you feel working with these stars at such a young age? I think I was 30 by then. 32 maybe. And uh, still young, I guess. And so I remember everyone was there. And we waited. And we waited. And we waited. Finally, Bruce came on set. And I'll never forget it. This is my... You know, I worked with Dean Stockwell, movie star for sure on Peli Royale. But Bruce Willis... It's a whole different thing he's a, oh, he's yeah. a movie star movie
0: blockbusters yeah
1: yeah so he comes on set he shakes my hand. he wasn't overly friendly but he sh- shook my hand and sure enough we do the whole thing and i remember thinking to myself i'm supposed to be here right now right here right now you're you're good you're good at you're supposed to be right here and boy was i ever supposed to be there right now i mean i stole that that scene stole the movie me punching bruce and the cigarette thing fall hit you again it's iconic it's, I, I hear it's being taught uh, for like 20 years now in acting classes on how to steal a scene from a movie star. And Bruce is a good buddy of mine now, I've done a three, three things with him. So we still talk about that and it's uh, it's a memory I'll always remember.
0: So did you have PTSD after throwing your first punch and <laughs> not working? And then you had to punch Bruce Wilson in the face?
1: No, I was okay. I was I was all right. I knew that, we, and boy, did we get those shoes changed in a, in, in a hurry! Yeah, you made sure the I shoes. I didn't throw anyone under the bus. I didn't throw wardrobe under the bus. No one under the bus. I just didn't get fired. But those wardrobe people got those Italian shoes absolutely sandpapered out.
0: So you start landing these roles and you're going from relying on your wife and her role as a teacher in order um, to make sure that the income is balancing and things like that. But now you're getting these game-changing roles. How are you navigating the changes in your financial well-being and, and where do you even start? Because clearly you get to the point where you have golf clubs all over all over the country. So how did you navigate that change?
1: Diana uh, certainly saved the monetary... Uh bank accounts early. And then Stratford came along and Broadway. And so then we started to realize, you know what, and then Hollywood, then we could afford a place in New York and a place in LA. So it became about, Kyla was born in 1989, uh, my first daughter, and then Brenda was born in 93. So what it became was, Diana held the fort together. She was one of those incredible, I've always said that uh, for a woman who are much stronger than men in so many ways, when they give birth to children and they actually have a kid and you, you go, wow, that's amazing, Diana. What you, and you, I saw them both, obviously. But then you, you know, what does that mother do? Does she continue with her career? Does she stay at home? Did she have to work three, like honestly. And so Diana and I felt very fortunate that Diana really wanted to stay at home. And be the teacher to my two daughters, our two daughters. And, and we were able to do that with my income. But where it was sorely lacking was my travel schedules, right, Mason? I mean, I started to be from Broadway to L.A. to back to New York to Innocent Blood to the client Memphis, Tennessee, back to L.A. Like I was all over. And Diana had two small kids, our kids, raising them in Toronto. And then when we got our green cards, uh, from Waterworld, we realized we need to move to LA and we did. And we consolidated as a family in Pasadena. And I didn't buy anything because I didn't know if Diana would like run for the hills screaming. She's in America now. Oh no. So we rent for, we rented for a long time before I finally bought a house here. And and she's really my hero. And in, in those kids of mine, my beautiful daughters and hanging out with me and letting me do my thing and no jealousies. And she would laugh. Any, anytime I kissed a girl on, on screen, Diana would just giggle. She'd start to giggle. So,
0: <laughs> Oh, I love that. I love the so far about this interview is every time you kind of, you get reminiscent about the people who you can, you can tell you're very grateful and thankful for the people in your life, whether it's Susan, whether it's Diana. You know what?
1: Thanks, Mace. I am. I am. Thanks for saying that. I really, you're very intuitive. I, I I'm far from perfect, but I know where I came from. And I'll never forget that little hockey stick that I got when I was born in Sask. And, and and I the Thornton Thumpers playing hockey. And I know where I came from. That's why people love us Canadians, man. We're we're the greatest country in the in the world. And and um, yeah,
0: yeah. You're humble. I, re- I really appreciate that about you. Um, quick question: Do you watch the movies and the shows you're in when they air?
1: Um, I used to. Uh, I'm doing a podcast right now that we need to talk about, and I can't wait to get into Pegasus. That's the Kinexis thing. What you guys are doing for us is just, so we're going to get into that and I can't wait. Mm -hmm. But I have to say that Theo Rossi, who was on Sons of Anarchy with me last year during COVID, called me up and said, you know, we should do a podcast you and me. I went, what are you talking about? And this thing has exploded we started last april may it's called the reaper reviews but it's theory 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 podcast we're reviewing every show of sons your question was did you ever watch do you know what mason we did 92 shows seven seasons i probably have seen a third of them i saw every really yeah about a third I certainly saw every first one of every season and the and the finale of every season, and then sprinkled through it. But I never, I didn't want to watch while I was still filming in that September, October, November time slot when we started playing them on FX. I didn't want to,
0: so I just did. I just didn't. So let's talk about let's talk about sense about anarchy. So sure. outside of a couple of reoccurring appearances on TV shows like Smallville, Prison Break, CSI Miami, you waited twenty two years before settling, settling isn't the right word, choosing a longstanding role as a co-star on a TV show. So this was your role, obviously, with Tig Traeger in Sons of Anarchy. So was this weight by design? And how did you decide that Sons of Anarchy is the one to pull the trigger on? It was
1: late, late 90s, um, just before Pearl Harbor and Black Hawk Down for me, late 90s, I'll never forget my Canadian and my American agent said, there's a Fox show brand new. It's called the wonder cabinet. And they've asked, it's going to be four doctors and me. Alvin swiskey was his name. Bolo tie, weird hair, weird glasses. But you know, those, you know, those museums and those about the weird shit, the bats and the elves and the potions and, leprosy and, and hundreds of years of, well, this guy was, anyway, it was going to be a show that was going to tackle the climate. Um, why are the bees dying? Like it was pretty hardcore for Fox late nineties wonder cabinet. Interesting. So it's the first time in my life that I went, okay, well, Vancouver, I like Vancouver a lot. And my career was good, but it wasn't exploding in those late 90s. I'd done a couple of cool things, but, and so I tested. And for your listeners who are listening, they've all, they've all heard of that. But what that means is there was going to be three of us who all had to sign a contract that you're going to make this much money per episode if you get the part. Um, it's called testing. It means that, you know, you... If they didn't do that and I walk in there and I just blow everyone away, then totally. I get asked yeah. for whatever I want, you know, so everyone does that. So I was the third one to go in and there was about 25 people and they were all looking at me and I wasn't even really off book. And I turned, I never forget this Mason. I turned the chair around. So they couldn't even see my face in the first scene and they were so I could feel them all going, what the, what is he? I want to, but that's so weird. And of course I got the offer. So I got the offer. So I go up to Vancouver. And I shot the pilot with Jimmy Morrison and uh, Poppy Montgomery, who became a huge TV star, Poppy. And this funny guy whose name name escapes me right now. Anyway, we shot the pilot. It didn't get picked up. And I Um. said, you know what? That means I need to stay in movies. And darn tootin', son, I stayed in movies, and I turned everything down. Any tech, no, no, no. I did Without a Trace. I did Cold Case, CSI Miami. In fact, I did all the CSIs, the Vegas and New York. You did, and my- All of them. I did Prison Break yeah. with my buddy Bill Fickner. But it wasn't until 2008 when Sons of Anarchy came along that I said, all right, I guess it's, and my wife just went, thank the Lord, even though we don't believe in it. Thank yeah. you, honey, <laughs> for having a regular paycheck for six months of the year. And that's yeah. when it became really apparent that Brennick would be able to afford to go to NYU, that we could afford to buy a condo in Toronto. No wonder actors are trying to go back and forth between film and TV now. It's it's right. really true. It, TV is a, is a paying machine, and, and, and actually it's better writing than, than most movies these days anyway, so certainly in cable.
0: Totally. So did did you know how big Sons, Sons of Anarchy was going to be?
1: None of us did, Mason. Mm-hmm. Not one person, not even... Kurt Sutter, the creator, we, uh, we knew we'd shoot one one season, 13, John Langrath, the best CEO in the business, FX, mm-hmm. and it was violent. It was something no one had ever seen. Think about this, bro. Back in those days, it was Sons of Anarchy. It was The Walking Dead. It was uh, Game of Thrones. It was Breaking Bad. It was Mad Men, like these crazy different cable shows. And we were on that toboggan. We were going down that hill. And after that first season, we got picked up for two. We knew on the pilot episode, the Katie Seagal, her performance in the first show, season two, we knew we were going to be around for a long time. That didn't get, get guarantee that we were all going to live. He started killing everybody off, starting in season four, five, and six there. So, yeah. uh, But it was a great run, and I'm very fortunate. And they're fortunate to have me, and I was fortunate to be on that show.
0: Katie Seagal is so captivating. She isn't she beautiful like, and just like no offense, Kim, but like Katie Seagal makes that show for me. She's such a strong female in that in that role. She she was the show, bro. Yeah,
1: she she was the matriarch. She was the queen. She was the lady Macbeth. Now you need Macbeth. <laughs> you need the soldiers. You need that. But Katie, man, it's funny, eh? After all those years, everyone, are you are you team Tara or team Gemma? Yeah, What would totally. Gemma do? You know all that stuff. But, boy, oh, boy, Mason, you want to talk about this little boy from Saskatoon. Before Sons of Anarchy, I was, oh, you're the guy from Open Range. Oh, you're the guy from the (laughs) clock. You're (laughs) the guy from Black Hawk. Then I became (laughs) Kim Coates. Right. People from Sons of Anarchy started to know all our names. Even Mm -hmm. Ron Perlman. Beauty and the Beast. All those incredible. It wasn't until he played Clay Morrow. Mm -hmm. Everyone knew who Katie was. You know, everyone knew who she was from Fox, from that comedy she did, that crazy comedy back in
0: the day, 11, 12 seasons. But I they... knew her from Smart House, which was a Disney show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> good so
0: next question, the natural progression of, of this interview. What's it like to bite a carnival worker's ear off?
1: Uh, it's It seemed to be a theme with that character, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I think once Sutter saw that Kim Coates' Tig Traeger could bite a really good ear off, it, I think it did it three or four times over seven years. It became like, oh, and Tommy is Chibs. He's Scottish. The headbutt works really well for him. Let's keep... <laughs> yeah. So we all had our go to bullshit fight move. And mine was, yeah, yeah. that's biting your ear off. Yeah.
0: You need to put that on your resume. <laughs> Great bite, biter of ears. What's one characteristic? Last question on Sons of Anarchy. What's one characteristic that Kim, a Saskatchewan born actor, shares in common with Tig? which is a biker gang member
1: only one, maybe two. Um, I am nothing like that guy, but I, I have a heart and TIG to do and to feel how he felt with Venus Van Damme, that transgender and what true love means in this crazy biker world that we created that, that having a heart. I know I have a heart. And also I think I'm a funny son of a bitch. Right. And Tig became really funny. He had some funny stuff. And other than that, and I could ride a bike. I've been riding a bike on my beautiful bigger farm with my beautiful uncle, Uncle Mort, in Springwater, Saskatchewan, riding those little Yamaha Suzuki seventy five hundred twenty five <laughs> cc Since I was 8, <laughs> yeah. 9, 10 years old. So honestly, Mason, on that show, there was three of us who could ride. Only three. Mark right. Brown Jr., David LaBrava, and me. Everyone else had to learn and some learn better than others let me tell you jeez
0: so let's transition back to Saskatchewan i heard a story that after you were done filming Sons of Anarchy you were filming a project in Saskatoon and your mom wanted you to stay at her house but you had to stay at the Bezboro. so tell me why the bez over joyce's house
1: this is no this is a great story you have to <laughs> yeah. hear this so i'm i'm here in LA i'm hanging out i get this call from my assistant It's early 2000s, and I get this call, and my assistant goes, hey, Kim, we've got an offer for you. And I go, yeah, cool. Um, It's in a place, um, it's a Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. I went Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Yeah, I think that's, what is it? It's a lead, good, with Erica Aleniak, great, been a fan of hers forever, Um, sent it to me. So this is what happened, bro. I'm coming home to do a movie in Saskatoon. And, you know, you don't know my buddies, but they would love you. I have a million of them, and I love them mm-hmm. all. And I thought to myself, and my, my mom's going, well, you'll stay here, you'll be in your basement. And I thought to myself, I mean, every scene in this movie, if I stay at my house, and sure enough, I made sure that they had in the contract, that I stayed at the Besbro, and my mom got over it, and I, this is what I did, Mason. I've been there two days. We're about to start filming in maybe a day or two. And I, I would call my mom and i go, how many? Just a minute. She went outside. She counted. She came back. 32. There was 32 people in my backyard. 32. Waiting for, is Kim coming? Is Kim coming? So not only did I stay at the Bezbro, I had to stay at the Bezbro. Because wow. my house became a melting pot of people there, beers cracked. Am I going to be in the movie? Can I be an extra? Where are you tomorrow?
0: And I had a a movie to shoot, bro. So That's funny. You called George Strombolopoulos royalty in Canada. You are royalty in Saskatchewan. How does that sound?
1: I don't know about that, but I can't even go to a gas station and have people not jump out of their cars wanting a selfie now when I go home.
0: Totally. So how has your prairie roots impacted how you navigate and find success in your career?
1: I don't think about it. You know, Mason, I don't think about it. I I know how my mom and dad raised me. Mm -hmm. I know I know what I what I learned from my father. And I don't know, but I I think that, you know, the friends that I've met in this business, they're friends for a reason. They're they're like me. I'm like them. We're uh, I'm super into sports, I'm super into women, I'm super into motorcycles, I'm super into my buddies, I'm super into golf.
0: You just named like the trifecta of Saskatchewan people. You are one Pilsner away from 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 identifying the perfect Saskatchewan person. So, um, let's dive into the Pegasus Project uh, and the impact you are currently making with with Stars. So, for those of you who don't know, the Pegasus Project is a fundraising initiative that is helping Stars Air Ambulance fundraise for a new helicopter fleet, and it's essentially a custom built 1968 Ford Mustang. It's beautiful. Uh, It's graciously donated and souped up and it's touring across the province and it's being featured in Vegas before it goes to the Barrett-Jackson auction in Scottsdale, Arizona in 2022. The car is being auctioned off with all proceeds going to STARS. So, Kim, tell me how you got involved here and why is this such a meaningful initiative for you?
1: Well, I never, uh, I wasn't looking for a new charity. I I had many charities that I do so happily but when my buddy Murray Totland, who used to be this, the city manager who, who finally retired, he needed to, he did such a great job with that city, it's time to smell the tulips a little bit. When he called me up a couple years ago and he said, uh, Vaughn Wyatt, who I knew, I knew the name. I had never met Vaughn, even though Vaughn says I did meet him once in Arizona, um, but I had heard of the name and, and Murray said they'd like you and maybe, you know, Bryden Shen from the St. Louis Blues to be ambassadors. And I said, I said well, what's it for? What is the Pegasus thing? What's it going to be? And he goes, I'm going to let Vaughn tell you. So I got in touch with Vaughn and certain, you know, Vaughn has no problem talking. In fact, I'm sure he talks in his sleep. Um, right. he, he didn't stop talking for half an hour and he he had me at hello. I mean, to to think and know the Stars Ambulance team, to, to know what they've done in Manitoba, Saskatchewan and Alberta over all these years and to know the need the community, uh, has for it. Um, the humble bus crash is, is something that we'll never forget. none of us will ever forget it on so many levels of pain and suffering, but what they did that day and what they continue to do every day. Um, it was easy for me for, but I also had to say to Vaughn what's expected because I'm, I'm, I'm a thriving, busy, busy boy. And I didn't want to let anybody down. And Vaughn said, Nope. We're going to use you when, when we can. And that's what we've been doing for a year and a half. And this car, uh, designed by uh, Bruce Williams, it's being built. It's done now, really. Byron Thiessen mm-hmm. and Wes Muskawa, they they built this thing. It's a one-off, like you just said. It's going to go for so much money. Okay. Um, and it's every penny is coming back to the, the the Stars Ambulance organization. Andrea Robertson and Jerry Lynn Johnston and I know, you know Laurie and and Vaughn's right hand man, um, Wayne Halla is, is is super involved. Jeff McGill. I mean, we can we can just go over all these names. But seriously, bro, yeah. it's about Saskatchewan, isn't it? It's about right. Alberta, yeah. isn't it? It's about Manitoba, isn't it? And so when they get a mug like me, who's born and bred there, who loves muscle cars anyway, I have one in my garage, right here, and I got a '66 Chevelle. It's stunning, Cabernet red. It's like a maroon soap beautiful stereo. Like you've never heard. Anyway, this has been an easy thing for me. What's not been easy has been the COVID situation. So what do you Uh. do when you have to delay it a year? What do you do if you need to continue to have people help out this initiative of raising all this money during a time when people are up against it? We're up against it, right? So Vaughn and Lori have never uh, backed down with a challenge. And I'm just a little minion for them, who's in the background, who makes people laugh. I'll take as many selfies as I can this summer, this fall, uh, certainly in Vegas, in Barrett Jackson. And then, you know, it still won't stop. We, we, we have so much to do and so much awareness and so much money to raise. Vaughn doesn't sleep over this thing, this Pegasus project. So with stars, I'm just so, you know, I met Scott Moe, I was in a helicopter uh, a year and a half ago, pre-COVID, at that air hangar. I'm just a little Saskatchewan boy who people seem to know pretty good now from my TV and movies and stage. And uh, I'm just so happy to be invited to the party. Uh, the car is totally. phenomenal. This Mustang is phenomenal. I got to turn it on a few months ago when I was up there in Saskatchewan. I got to turn it on at uh, at Byron's shop. And now it's mm-hmm. being driven around you know, where it is in Saskatchewan. And, and we're going to do a little roadshow this coming summer and fall, and hopefully I'll be able to attend one or two
0: of those. Okay, we're gonna park the bike for a second and take a quick break from the interview. Kim mentions Conexus's role in the Pegasus Project a little bit, so I wanted to get more context on what that is before we continue. So I reached out to Courtney Rink, who is Conexus's Manager of Community Engagement, and I asked her to tell us a little bit more about why and how Conexus supports STARS Air Ambulance. This is what she had to say.
2: Thanks, Mason. I'd absolutely love to tell you about the partnership that Conexus has with STARS. This is one that I personally am so excited about, but I know Connexus is too, because anyone across the province of Saskatchewan may need access to a critical health service that STARS really provides. And ultimately, having a reliable air ambulance available can really mean the difference between life and death. Now they're focusing on putting the right tools in the hands of the best talent, And in return, what this does is not only save time, but saves lives. Our $500,000 contribution is to go towards the much needed aircraft fleet with the latest cutting edge medical tools available and truly something that they need to keep the fight in flight. For us, contributing to this campaign is a way for us to ensure that all of Saskatchewan residents have access to this life-saving care when they need it most, now and for future generations to come. Oh, Mason, but you did mention one more thing, which is the Pegasus Project, which I do not want to forget. We are so excited to be the presenting sponsor for this. Uh, It is a fundraising campaign that has brought together oh so many, whether it's Ford, MNP, the Shen Brothers, Von Wyant, Kim Coates, Caleb Dahlgren, the entire organizing committee. Oh my gosh, you guys, the list goes on. We hope to see your support across the province throughout the summer so that they can continue their efforts and remain the beacon of hope across Saskatchewan.
0: Hey, thanks, Courtney. I'm from a small town and I know just how much anxiety exists around receiving immediate ambulatory care if, God forbid, anything were to ever happen to you. So I can speak firsthand on just how important STARS is for our community. If you'd like to learn more or donate to the STARS Air Ambulance or the Pegasus Project, visit www.stars.ca. Now let's get back to our interview with Kim. So you mentioned STARS and just how, how worthy of a an organization they are and how much of a role they had in responding to the Humboldt Strong crisis. And I think we can all remember where we were when we heard that news. What was that like for you? Do you remember where you were? And do you remember like seeing the world responding to Saskatchewan and supporting Saskatchewan during such an immense time?
1: I do remember I was in the States and when you're the top story, you know, it's going to be a little emotional here, but when you, when you, the top story on CNN Mm -hmm. is a, a, a bus, bus crash in Saskatchewan. Uh, and the the amount of kids and, and adults that we lost that day, uh, hockey, the world of hockey, and how not only the hockey world responded, but the world responded. And it's Canada, and it's Saskatchewan, where we're pretty away from the big world. We're Saskatchewan people. I'll never forget it, and the 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 love and the respect that that came from that horrible, sad tragedy. It uh, should never be forgotten, really.
0: No. You, know? you nailed it. Like, you come out of the womb and you get a hockey stick. Everybody has been on a bus trip for, whether it is, like, a band concert, whether it is a hockey tournament, things like that. I think the world sat still for a second because it was so relatable. And, like, the the kids and the families and the communities, I think, were just so impacted. And that's why I'm so happy that Pegasus and stars exist right now because there's no other charity that you can possibly choose that fits Saskatchewan and the values that we have because stars can reach everywhere they can whether you're a rural um, a rural community if you're in need stars can get you there
1: well it's true it really is true bro and uh, in in these crazy times we're living in to know that stars is over the shoulder and they're so tough and real they don't ask for you you almost have to go well scott mo beautiful government going to give this much then we need to raise this much and everyone just comes together as a community and we're going to do it and we're doing it and have done it and we'll do it again this just happens to be a big one because we need a, a new a new helicopter we need a couple of them absolutely and you can imagine how many millions of dollars that costs. so we're not going to let them down we, we are raising uh, look at connexus look at you guys i mean come on i mean what connexus how bright are you but Connexus man, all that incredible donation that you guys gave, um, I just, Vaughn and I just go, how lucky are we that we continue to have people in Saskatchewan give and give and give. So right. yeah, stars, good for them.
0: Transitioning back to, to your career and what you've learned along the way. So looking back, what is something that you are so proud of in your career?
1: I think I've stayed pretty true to who I am and where I came from. And I know I'm a really, really good actor. And I know I'm a really good producer. I know I'm gonna be a really good director someday when I have the time to do that. But where I've stumbled or fallen down, I had Diana and my kids to help dad up or when they stumbled I picked them up and I'll tell you what bro the four of us as a family and the the incredible laughter that we you know Diana did an amazing job raising those two girls and I came from a family of boys Kim Dale and Dean boys everywhere so if I ever got married I thought if I ever had a kid I thought I wouldn't mind having a daughter I got two of them boom boom shakalaka I I think I'm pretty proud of family really and seeing my my dad that last year when pop was was he't couldn't he, couldn't he couldn't rally anymore in 2008 you know I just remember that I, I came home in 2008 when I was doing sons I came home eight times to see my dad and you know when he passed away he passed away on the night of our rap party because he knew he had to wait so that I could come home and and do the funeral and make sure that everyone was okay. So pop passed away the night of my rap party and I was in Saskatoon two days later and I stayed for two weeks and we had so many people we had to, we, we, it was overflowing. It was, everyone loved my dad. So.
0: Yeah. My dad passed away as well when I was 25. So I can relate to. That's no, young. Well, oh, you were the...
1: young. Sorry to hear that, bro.
0: Yeah. Sorry to hear about your dad too. Um, so what was that like to be going through one of, if not the biggest moments of your career, one of the biggest successes in your career and on the flip side, at the exact same time, going through one of your hardest personal battles. And is there anything that you wish that you that you could have told your dad at the end of that amazing run with sons? No, nothing
1: more. Uh, nothing more, really, honestly. just wish that, I just wished he would have lived longer. But it wasn't because of sons or that success that came along with it. Because my father, do you know how important it is, right, bro, to when, when you have a mom and dad? who support you because you're gay you have a mom and dad who support you because you're straight you have a mom and dad who support you because you want to be a hockey player you have a mom and dad who support you because they know you're going to find your way my father and my mother when i told them that i wasn't going to be a safeway manager because everyone thought i'd oh i'm going to go to university you're going to teach what you're going to be an a- an actor like my point is i had such support so my dad saw all my successes and all my fallings down his whole life so dad didn't miss anything in sons of anarchy because dad knew his son was a star before he died but I wish I wish he was around to drink some more whiskey and Coke Ryan Coke my wisers and my crown royal with my dad because those were some of the most fun nights of my life for sure you know about your father and stuff it's yeah and when you're tight and so no dad didn't miss any of my but I miss him not just being around longer for his grandkids. Yeah.
0: How how universal is Coke? Like you can you stop from slipping on your shoes, taste good in whiskey. <laughs> it burns your stomach out. <laughs> it's, yeah. so <laughs> yeah, it's so good in rye. It's so good. So if you could go back in time and give a piece of advice to yourself just graduating from Nutana Collegiate, what would you tell that kid?
1: <sighs> Nothing. I remember... Murray Totlin said to me when I graduated college and I go to Toronto and I come back and I had a f- few hits, a few things, Stratford, right? And we came home at a huge party in my mom and dad's backyard. And Murray Totlin grabbed me around the face and he held my like a, like a mobster. And he went, Coatsy, you got out. You got out. You got out. You did it. You did it. And I grabbed him and I went, no you stayed and you did it you did it so no I wouldn't tell that kid anything I I was so unafraid to fail I was so naive I was so I didn't know what a soliloquy was I've said this stuff many times but <laughs> I knew I needed to express myself in acting and it all freaking right. worked out bro
0: okay before we let you go I'm gonna hit you with some speed round questions sure so these are gonna be fun so first question. I know you're a sports fan yeah and you're you're a, you're a detroit Red Wings fan yeah. which i'm sorry about right away they're uh, <laughs> not doing the best at the moment after all those years of greatness um what's your favorite writer memory
1: uh it has to it has to be in 1989 it has to be i was in the end zone that ridgway kicked the field goal to win against hamilton to win by two points i believe last seconds i i was in the end zone i had terry brash and donna brash and calibrash Brash and Greg Bandler and Mark Melmock, all Saskatoon, Toronto people. And, and I was there and balling and balling and balling. We finally, we finally won a cup. We finally won something that I, that I could remember. And all those Ronnie Lancaster years and George Reed years, and we never won anything for me as a young boy. That was, that has to be a memory that I'll never forget.
0: Uh, second question. So you've been able to act with your daughter, Brenna. Yeah. How special was that for you?
1: Really? Truly. I mean, come on, you see uh, your offspring uh, grow into this incredible stellar actress doing it the right way like her dad did theater 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 yeah. she's on Broadway she does the, the Wolves which is one of the you know 25 plays in the last 25 years that just got these New York. Accolades! Brenna's pictures all over the New York Times. She just explodes. She gets a big agent, big man, you know, and she's just working her ass off. And now she's getting into movies and starring and stuff. For her to come back with me to do Jerusalem, that play in Toronto, my first, you know, far away back on stage in like 30 years. And she's in it with dad. Come on. And then we just did a movie together that she's the second lead in. Like, come on. I'm so proud of her.
0: Yeah, I watched an interview when when you were on breakfast television with her promoting oh, did you see her, promoting that? Jerusalem. Yeah. yeah, and you were buzzing like you had you were you could tell just how excited you were to, <laughs> to be having that moment with her. Yeah, it was a fun time. Next question: So Broadway, TV, or movies? If you had to pick one to to finish out your career, which one do you think you'd land with?
1: Uh, Broadway, sure. I mean, sure, why not? I I I um I was on Broadway. I finally came back to do that Jez Butterworth, Mammoth, Rooster Byron, I should have freaking passed away on stage every night kind of part. We won every, you know, I won Best Actor, Best Play. They won Best Director. Brenna won Best Ensemble, Best Staging. We won them all. We were like the Titanic that night. And the winner is, and we had just eight, ten of us, twelve. And the whole room, the Winter Gardens were going, oh, not them again. Oh, not them again. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, how about going back to Broadway? Sure, I, I would take that.
0: So you talked about dying on stage. So are, there's a website that lists all the movies and TV shows you've died in. Yeah, you had. I I, I know the answer. I know the numbers. How many? Tell me. You know. I want, I want to you to me. guess how many. How many times do you think that you've died on camera from a movie or TV? Eighty-five. <laughs> well, this one has 33 movies and 18 on TV, so for a total of 51. I'm sure excellent. there's some missing there. I, I, excellent. I. I that's you've fantastic. died a lot. I've died a lot. <laughs> What's that like? How do you, how do you die? What is, what is the first step of dying on camera?
1: Oh, wow. That's a great question because I have died so many times in so many different ways that I'm not sure I actually really think about it. I kind of just, uh, from the inside out, just go with it. And yeah. I've come up with some pretty, like that last Boy Scout, there was a magazine yeah. in Britain, I think it's called Score, I have it somewhere in my office here. Um, I was in, you know, late 90s. They came out with this magazine, and I was the number two death of all movies of all time um, in that magazine from that Bruce Willis death where I just plopped down like a 12-year-old little boy. And uh, so I don't know how many times, and I don't, I don't even know if I think about it, but boy, they seem to work out because I die really well. My mom, <laughs> are you dying in this one? <laughs> Do you die in this one? Jesus.
0: Uh, so you bite ears off and you die really well. Those are great things to do. Great things. I'll legacy. put that on
1: my resume, even though I don't need a resume anymore, Mason. But I'll put it on there anyway.
0: <laughs> Back your headshot. Let's do it. Uh, so you were interviewed by the late, great Larry King. How monumental was that for you?
1: Special. Really special. Really special. Theo Rossi and I, my partner in crime on our podcast, were we were like the two guys who... FX would always go to for press, you know, cause we loved giving it. We were pretty funny. We were different. He's younger, but we were like Laurel and Hardy. And you know what? We read a lot and we, uh, I'm not a big TV guy. Like I don't watch a lot of TV, but I certainly know who's talking about it. I and Larry King, are you joking? Like, and then find out that he's a fan. Are you joking? I mean, he was more of a fan of Theo because Theo's from Staten Island and Larry King's from, from there. And, and so, but he was, he was just special. And we'll always have that. It's always in my, uh, you know, my, on my phone, ready to pull up at any time. And Larry King, man, what a, what an icon.
0: That's what you should tell that kid from Nutana Collegiate. Like stick with it one day. Cause you are going to, you're going to hear from Larry King. Right. That he's a fan of your work.
1: That's right. Mason Garden uh... is going to interview you 12 years from now. <laughs> you stay with the kid. Mason's come, come looking for you.
0: Oh yeah, no. Uh so you were on all three of the CSIs. Yeah. Like the holy trinity of uh primetime TV. What did you watch any of them? Like were you a fan of any of the CSIs? Never, or which not one was your one. favorite to be an actor on? Never not one. Not one. No, I did the
1: I did the one in, in Vegas first and didn't even see the show. I don't know what it was like, but I guess I yeah. did all right. And then I got <clears throat> I got invited for the CSI New York. And my character might even come back. I remember they were talking about, we might even bring you back. And again, I was okay Okay. with that because I like arcs. I don't mind arcs. But I never came back. It was the one show. Maybe I sucked. I didn't see that either. But the third one is a fascinating tale for me because it was just before Suns started. And I get a call from my people. And they go, "Um, Suicide Miami is calling. And they want you for two, three, maybe four shows. And I went, well, I don't know. And they said, no, no, David Caruso is sp- sp- specifically asking for you. Yeah. And I thought, I've never really seen this show. And I know he's really cool and stupid with his sunglasses and whatever. But I used to love his movies back in the day. And I loved NYPD Blue. And So I thought, sure. I did six shows for him. Six. And... It was so much freaking fun and I saw all of those. yeah Thea was in one with me Elizabeth Berkeley was my girlfriend. They, they even had me as an informant at the end. I mean I, I could have been stuck in that world for the rest of my life and then and then they went, oh wait, we've been doing it 10 years. Let's end the show now yeah
0: one, that's one of my favorite lines I've ever heard in TV is when you say Horatio, I missed you and he said, I won't next time. Or did, or did you miss, did you miss me? me? And he said, I won't next time. <laughs> Good for you. You got a memory.
1: I love that, bro. Yeah.
0: Uh, uh, so next, next question. Have you, have you ever been starstruck by a co-star?
1: No. Um, I, I don't think I ever have, but uh, Fleetwood Mac. Mm. Um, what's her name? Stevie Be- Nicks. Stevie Nicks. Thank you. So Stevie Nicks, she uh, was at the Toronto Film Festival. She had a movie documentary on her life. I've been such a big Fleetwood Mac fan. So I got, I asked if I wanted to go backstage. I said, I did. And uh, she had three bodyguards that were four times the size of me. And I was in a little line to go meet her highness, Stevie Nicks. And I walked up. She didn't have a clue who I was. But I walked up to her and I said, I just love you so much. And she goes, and I've never been told that before. Like she laughed, like, can't you come up with something a little bit more original? But her four bodyguards were having a fan moment over me. They wanted myself so, so bad. Stevie Nixon, and she's four foot three with these big pumps on. She turned around and said, oh, he's a bit of a big deal then, is he? He's a bit of a big deal. Yeah. And I went, I am Stevie. I am. But that, that night got my, got my heart really, but no, as a, as an actor, I've always been very, uh, knowing that I, I deserve to be in that room, knowing that I should be at that table or knowing that I don't want to be like that guy ever in my life. What an asshole. Or I, I, you know, being from Saskatchewan, we're Gordie Howe people, man. We're, you know, we fight, we score a goal and we get an assist. I mean, that's, that's me in a nutshell.
0: So. You, you fight, but I hear you're quite the softy when it comes to Disney movies, especially <laughs> Finding Nemo. What Disney movie is your favorite and tell me why?
1: Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. It was the first <laughs> it was the first movie from the old days that when they started to re-release Disney movies, it was in Toronto. Uh, Diana wasn't even there yet. I went right to Toronto by myself. My motorcycle had a little apartment, cockroaches everywhere. But i loved it i loved everything about my life here i go waitering and they released snow white and the seven doors in the early 80s and i i'll never forget on my motorcycle pulling up downtown toronto parked probably illegally i don't remember now but walking in and all that was there were kids and moms all the dads were at work kids and mums and me and all these mums turned around and saw you know six foot one blue eyes motorcycle helmet leather jacket what is going on i sat at the very very back pretty pretty crowded theater. theaters at the very very back had my popcorn and man when that witch gave snow white that apple and she eats it and she dies and the, and the dwarves are going nuts i'm bawling like a baby i am bawling like a baby i could have filled up an entire bohemian bottle of beer
0: with my tears yeah and i
1: walked out wiping my face going That was the greatest day of my life great great yeah. so
0: snow white that's my faith yeah I love that you're still an ambassador for Bohemian after that $800 check, so good for you. <laughs> uh, last question, what connects us?
1: You know, again, with you, it connects us. What connects us? And the money you've given to stars. And the reason why I got to meet you today, and even though we've met with the writers before, and, and thank, thank goodness for Von Wyatt and Lori Leach and everything they're doing, I just feel really, really... Lucky to be talking to you. What connects is it's it's becoming more and more difficult all the time. What connects is, is speaking and talking and food and dinners and phone calls. If we get too much into texting, 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 and people on their buses, not even looking, they're on the phone, phone, phone all day. We we need to, to, to be careful with that. And and sit down and have lunch with your kids. And sit down and have dinner with your kids when you can. And make sure that we're talking and reading books. And taking care of the environment. And if we do that, um, which is why Pegasus is so important to me right now, and you guys giving all you, you gave to Pegasus and the Stars Ambulance, because that's doing the right thing. That's doing the right thing for the environment, for human beings. And uh, what a great thing to be involved in because of that.
0: Totally. Great answer. Kim, thank you so much. You mentioned that you feel lucky to be having this conversation. I am lucky. Like the story, that experience, and the perspective you just loaned me come on like your intuition in your story your humbleness your just your drive your motivation your passion it's unmatched and i think
1: oh thank that means the world to me it really does and i i i somewhere you know again i've said this a million times i'm so far from perfect it's a joke mm -hmm. but i i'm so proud to be a saskatoon boy and uh I've never forgotten my roots, and I never will, and I, I look forward to talking to you again, because, bro, between mm-hmm. you and me, I don't know when people are gonna hear this, but something pretty huge just happened to me, and uh, it's a four-month gig, and it's HBO, and I might be you know locked and chained in upstate New York and Washington, D.C. for the next four months, so I don't know when I'm getting home to Saskatoon, but it will be in the fall, and I hope that our paths run into each other, and when it comes out in the press, you'll hear all hear, hear all about it. But uh, yeah, this train's not stopping, but I, I love Pegasus, and I can't wait to see Vaughn and Lori and their team and uh, do Zooms and whatever else it takes until I finally get to be back in the prairies. And here's to you guys getting more and more vaccines all the time, please. Come on. We're trying. Keep going. <laughs> Come on. We got we to burst through this bubble, and more vaccines, the better, and it's coming, right? It's
0: coming. Yeah. So we'll be watching when that project drops because... I think Saskatchewan is just so proud of you. I'm proud of you. Your mom's proud of you. You're doing some great things. And thank you for putting Saskatchewan on the map. Thanks, man. I'll talk to you soon. Well, that's it for our chat with Kim and our first episode of season three of the What Connects Us podcast. It was so good to return. And we'll be back in two weeks with a podcast on every second Wednesday. If you like the podcast, please do us a favor and hit that subscribe or follow button. We'll see you in two weeks. Until then, I'm off to grab some Coca-Cola.